Welcome to the Clinical Podcast Series brought to you by the American Academy of Optometry Foundation and our Traumatic Brain Injury Channel. Today's episode is entitled Photophobia Associated with Traumatic Brain Injury, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. I'd like to thank our host and topical editor, Dr. Philip Uhas, and topical expert, Dr. Christina Racozzi. And now it's my pleasure to begin today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second installment of the TBI podcast put on by the American Academy of Optometry Foundation. With me today is a very special guest, Christina Rocosi of the Tampa VA system. Uh, Dr. Rocosi is a polytrauma uh, TBI optometrist there. She's a clinician, and she's here to share her knowledge with us. So welcome. Thank you so much, Dr. Yuhas. Um, so I do work at a, a VA polytrauma rehabilitation center. Uh, it is only one of five in the United States. Um, I've been there since 2009. Uh, that was the height of uh, U.S. involvement in foreign wars. Uh, we do see both veterans and active duty for rehabilitation. Um, so uh, wide range, wide range of different type of military um, that, um, that we do see here. Very good. Well, well, welcome. So the Thank paper you. we're discussing today is titled Photophobia Associated with Traumatic Brain Injury, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. Dr. Cozy, will you please uh, walk us through some of the main findings of this paper? Sure. Uh, so uh, Dr. Medizhenskaya, first of all, she is an absolutely excellent, excellent researcher, and she's very well respected amongst her peers and um, amongst clinicians as well. So um, they they did a meta-analysis. They basically um, reviewed, uh, they went into databases such as PubMed, Embase, and Cochrane, and actually found over 6,500 different articles um, that had to deal with uh, photophobia in, in traumatic brain injury. Um, they had very strict criteria for inclusion and exclusion and actually ended up excluding over 5,500 of these um, articles. And they assessed 997 of them for relevance. And of those, they excluded another 922. And they were left basically with 75 very um, uh, relevant articles uh, more than half of them were uh, conducted by Americans, either here in the United States or um, on bases other elsewhere. So their inclusions, basically, you had to have a confirmed uh, traumatic brain injury by a professional uh, that used acceptable diagnostic criteria, such as Glasgow Coma Scale. Uh, secondly, that um, the evaluation for photophobia had to be no later than two, um, 12 months post-injury. And also it had to be original peer-reviewed uh, uh, publication that was in English. Uh, they excluded papers that talked about self-reported TBI, non-traumatic brain injury, such as mass effect, vasculopathic, infectious, um, inflammatory issues of the brain. Um, they excluded photophobia for other reasons, such as uveitis. Um, and they also excluded patients who complained of headaches, migraine, or PTSD prior to the traumatic brain injury. Um, the photophobia evaluation uh, had to be before 12 months after injury, and they also excluded uh, case reports. Uh, so 
basically the participants uh, for this uh, study uh, came from hospital catchments. Uh, so that's general traumatic brain injury, sports injury, military, and pediatric. Uh, the causes of traumatic brain injury were sports, a motor vehicle accident, falls, assaults, and blast. And the assessments that they looked at um, had to do with surveys and questionnaires. Um, I think 75% of the studies were prospective, 25 were retrospective, and then 14 of them had uh, prevalence in both TBI and control with indicated period of TBI. Uh, so <clears throat> what else can I tell you? No, that was, that was excellent. One, thank you. One of the, uh, one of the major findings that I found interesting was that the papers that you had mentioned found a prevalence of photophobia after TBI to be 0% to 82%. That's a huge range. Why do you think that range is so large? Well, it's it's very, very diverse. And I think it has to do with the population base. Um, you know, uh, they, they looked at sports and military in general and pediatric. And, and of course, it's a very wide range. Um, and I think that is why it is, you know, zero to 81%. Sports and military both had the highest prevalence. General um, was basically average. Then pediatric was, a, I think their prevalence was even less than general. No, that was, that was very interesting. Another thing that stood out to me was that generally speaking, uh, people with TBI had about a excuse me, the prevalence of photophobia after TBI in the first three months was about 30%. Then it dropped down to about 20% from three months after injury through a year. But the military didn't drop down. The military stayed high throughout the entire time course. What do you think is unique about military injuries that may um, predispose them to photophobia, recalcitrant photophobia after their injury? Uh I believe uh, that it is definitely the type of injury. When we're talking about sports injuries, general injuries, even pediatric injuries, we're talking mostly about blunt trauma. Uh, these are very focal trauma uh, to the brain, whereas military will have blast trauma. Blast trauma causes a diffuse injury, basically a blast. Um, a blast travels, I believe, 1,500 miles per second. Uh, and that causes a wave that will shake the brain. Uh, and as we all know, the brain has a very, very rough terrain. And when you have a soft jelly type organ that's sloshing around in, in a brain that has many uh, nooks and crannies, you will get damage. Uh, so um, I believe that it's definitely because of the blast injury. So it's a mechanism of the injury. And this is why uh, military um, will have persistent photophobia that does not diminish and persists greater than 12 months. Very interesting. Thank you for the insight. So you are a clinician. You deal with these types of patients on a weekly basis. What do you do to assess photophobia or to uh, query the, its presence in your patients? Well, that's, that's a, a very good question, um, and it's very difficult to assess because, as we know, there are really are no quantitative, and there is no quantitative, objective quantitative instrumentation to measure photophobia. Um, mostly, we use questionnaires, and the questionnaires that are out there are not specific to photophobia, such as the River Mead. Uh, it is not specific to photophobia. So we basically rely on uh, the patient's um, 
ability to tell us. Uh, sometimes we have patients with severe traumatic brain injury who cannot tell us, who cannot speak. So we have to judge whether they have photosensitivity depending on their reactions. Um, and I'm, I, I know you, you yourself did a study uh, that looked at patients' reactions uh, to varying light. Um, so we do find that there is a difference. Our severe patients, we don't have too many severe patients anymore, anymore because of um, the uh, wars um, dying down. But when we did have severe uh, traumatic brain injury, they had very, very high prevalence of photophobia. And what we would do for them in the hospital setting is, um, number one, is make sure that they had some kind of visor or some kind of cap that they could wear in the hospital. Uh, the other thing that we found was prescribing a very pale tint uh, seemed to help. As a matter of fact, we would, and this is all anecdotal, we would have reports from nurses telling us that once the patient had um, this tint with these, and, and we used a very pale blue tint, um, that the patients would actually calm down. They wouldn't be as agitated. So uh, that's something that we used for the severe. We never ever allow wearing sunglasses indoors because as we all know, that leads to um, light, dark adaptation and dark adaptation um, can lead to circadian rhythm changes. And for some of our mild traumatic brain injury patients who insist on wearing their dark glasses, the gentlemen, basically I tell them if their circadian rhythm changes, then they will experience hormonal changes. And as soon as I say that, you know, the glasses come off and they never come back on unless they're outside. <laughs> uh, so uh, this is... Um, basically what we do in, in our practice for the mild traumatic brain injury, and I basically now see mostly mild traumatic brain injury in chronic stages, um, is we do use photochromic lenses and uh, the extra active photochromic lenses do have a pale gray tint for indoor use that seems to help with the transition from indoor to outdoor. And for outdoors, we prescribe specifically a, um, a polarized, the number three gray polarized lens, and just ask the patients to switch out, particularly when driving, because we know polarized lenses really don't change very much in a car. Um, some patients, you know, if, if uh, they don't like wearing the glasses, well, we just tell them, you know, wear a cap. Um, but that's about the best that we can do right now. As far as the color of the tint, uh, we, um, we actually let the patient choose for the color of the tint indoors. Uh, there are some studies that uh, show that the FL41 lens is good for patients with migraines. We've actually found that our patients with traumatic brain injury do not like the FL41. And the reason why they don't like it is because it increases contrast. Um, a pale blue tint seems to calm things down and they prefer either the pale blue or the pale gray. But we do leave it up to the patient to choose. We have a selection of light tints and we have a selection of, um, of, of frames made up with the light tints, uh, light tinted lenses. And uh, we allow the patient to choose in the indoor setting with all the fluorescent lights on. Very interesting. And just as a brief final uh, wrap up here, uh, any any quick or brief words of advice, clinical pearls, if you will, that our optometrists who don't maybe practice in a VA setting can take with them to manage the kiddo who comes in after concussion, you know, on the football field or whatever? 
Well, uh, basically, you know, just do keep in mind that um, it really depends on the time from injury. If it's within the first week, they are going to be extremely photosensitive. Give them some quick uh, fixes for those first uh, first week, the first three months. Encourage them that this, you know, does go away um, and that, uh, you know, there are they can wear a cap indoors, they can wear light tints for indoors, but to make sure that they do have sunglasses uh, when they do go outside. Uh, I think encouragement and patient education is the most important um, clinical pearl that I can give you. If the patient understands what is going on, understands that they will get better, they will feel much better about their condition. Wise words from Dr. Rokosi. Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your time. And uh, for everyone else, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we will have a no new episode out shortly, hopefully. And uh, we appreciate your continued uh, patronage of this whole series. Take thank care, you, Dr. Yuhos, for having me. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Goodbye. Goodbye, Goodbye. everyone. And a special thanks to Cooper Vision for their educational grant to make it all happen.